Lord, you are the author of love, and you have given us your word, which is all about how much you love us. So please help us to understand it this morning and apply it to our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the movie, The Purple Rose of Cairo, Mia Farrow plays a love-starved woman in the middle of the Depression who goes to the movies every day, and she always falls in love with the heroes on the screen. One day while she's watching the movie, one of the heroes jumps off the screen and into the theater and takes her on a whirlwind romance. And because he's a film character, he does everything perfectly, of course. He listens to her perfectly, he kisses perfectly, and she falls in love. And in one scene she says to a friend, I finally met the perfect man. He's fictional, but you can't have everything. (laughs) All of us are looking for the perfect love. And I think in our culture, that word love is probably one of the most frequently used and least understood words in our language. As you know, we only have one word for love, but the Greeks had several, and they distinguished between different kinds of love. There was philia, which was the friendship kind of love. That's the if kind of love. If you're nice to me, if we have shared interests, then I'll love you. Then there was eros, which referred to erotic love, and that's the because kind of love. Because you're good-looking, because you're smart, because you make me look good, I love you. And then there was agape, and that was the highest form of love, and that could be looked at as the in spite of kind of love. In spite of how you've hurt me, in spite of your faults, in spite of your hypocrisies, I choose to love you. And when the Bible talks about love, God's love or the way we should love each other, it almost always uses that word agape. At its heart, Christianity is a religion that's about love. When the Bible says that God is love, you've got to understand, that was an earthquake in the history of religious thought. Because always before, God had been a lot of things. God had been holy. God had been perfect. God was even angry. But God is love? That was a new thought. And that's the revolution that Jesus announces. And it's that kind of love that is the most powerful force in the universe. It's it's God's kind of love that changed 11 frightened fishermen into the courageous apostles that were willing to die for their faith. It's that kind of love that the earliest Christians showed each other by caring for the sick and giving to the poor that made people flock to the churches in droves. All winter we've been talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And the number one character trait of a disciple, the number one character trait is love. So let me just sketch out a few of the characteristics of God's kind of love. Because it's different than what our culture calls love. To begin with, according to this passage, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. It's a commitment that seeks the best for the other person. And and this is where I think our culture just gets it so wrong. Because every song you hear on the radio, every movie you see, love is a feeling. It's the, oh baby, baby, I'm so in love with you, I've got to have you, I just can't fight this feeling anymore, kind of a thing. But as I read the list of what love is in 1 Corinthians, none of those things are feelings. Most of those words are verbs. Love hopes. 
It believes, it rejoices, it endures. Love does things. Love is an action. It's a commitment to seek the best for another person. And this is true of friendship, marriage, parenting, any relationship. What builds true love is investing in the good of another person. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And what he means is, what we invest in is what we love. And I told you a couple of months ago, I, I first learned this when my, my first daughter was born. When she was born, I loved her. I thought she was cute. But after about a week of getting up three times a night to feed her, a week of listening to her cry, a week of changing dirty diapers, I loved her even more. Which makes no sense, right? Seems contraindicated, but it's not. Because I loved her more because I had invested in her. What we invest in is what we love. If you want to love someone, invest in their good. Pray for them. Serve them. Seek their best, and then the feelings of love will grow. Because it's awfully hard to work for someone's good and not come to love them in the end. You see, it's not that feelings aren't a part of love. They are. It's just that what makes the feelings come and last is when we invest in the good of another person. Christine and I have a friend who realized she didn't know her neighbors. So one day she went across the street and spent an afternoon with an elderly woman who never got any company. And out of that, a friendship began to emerge and she kept doing it almost every day. And she really came to love this woman because she invested in her, sought her good. Love is a commitment to seek the best for another. Which brings me to the second truth this text tells us about real love. And that is that love tells the truth. Or as Corinthians puts it, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And what that means is that if someone is doing something wrong to hurt themselves or that hurts others, to seek their best means that we have to confront them about that. Boy, is that un-PC, right? That's the most un-PC thing I could have said this morning because what's our culture's number one virtue? Tolerance. But biblically speaking, tolerance is not the number one virtue. What is? Love is the number one virtue. In fact, tolerance is a a funny kind of a virtue, is it? It, It's not exactly a compliment to be tolerated. You know? If my wife says to me, Scott, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart I really tolerate you. Right? That's not a good sign. We're not going in a good direction. Love doesn't just tolerate. Love seeks the best for another person. And that means at times we're going to have to tell people the truth if their behavior is hurtful. Now, love also respects the free will of the other person. So we've got to understand that they are free to do what they're going to do. So a good way of saying this might be something like, I'm worried about you. I see you doing things that, that hurt you, hurt other people. For your own sake, I think you should stop. Now, you're a free person and I'm going to love you no matter what you do. But for your own good, stop. And if they don't respond to that, just keep loving them. Keep telling them that and don't abandon them. That's real love. A long time ago, a friend of mine said to me, you know what I don't like about you, Scott? It's a great way to start a conversation. I said, no, enlighten me. And he said, I don't think you love me because you never confront me when I'm messing up. And that makes me feel like 
that you would rather avoid the pain of confrontation than do what's best for me. So I don't think you love me. You see, tolerance is just a synonym for I don't care. And that's not love. A few years back, I was not being a very good dad. I was working every day. I wasn't taking any days off. I I wasn't spending any time with my kids. And about this time, two younger guys on my staff said, we want to take you to lunch. So when when we got to the restaurant, they looked at me and they said, you're bumming us out. It's a bad thing. They said, you work all the time. You never take a day off. You're never with your family. You're depressing us. So I made some excuses about how hard it is to be a pastor, how important God's work is. And one of them said, yeah, 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 whatever. We see you trying to be an excellent pastor. But we need you to be an excellent man and an excellent husband and an excellent father because we want to be those things too and we need you to show us how. That took guts. They were younger than I was. I was their mentor. They looked up to me. They admired me. I was their boss. And I felt very loved. Because they were willing to go through the pain of confrontation to tell me something I needed to hear. And from that day on, I took a day off religiously. Because they loved me enough to tell me the truth, they made a difference in my life and for my wife and for my kids. Love tells the truth. And finally, a third characteristic of God's kind of love is that love believes the best is possible for someone. Or as this text puts it, love always hopes. Real love believes that the best is possible and that people can change. Now, that doesn't mean that we're gullible, that we let ourselves be taken advantage of, or that we let ourselves get abused by someone just hoping that they're going to change. But it does mean that we always believe that God can transform a person, even if to protect ourselves, we have to believe that from afar. The person who has loved me best in my life is my wife. And after we'd been dating for a few weeks, just a few weeks, I decided that she needed to know everything that was wrong with me. So I told her, all at once, over one dinner, in excruciating detail. It was an interesting strategy. And when I was done, I told her all the ways that I'd messed up in past relationships, all the ways that I had hurt other women that I had dated. And and when I was done unloading, she burst into tears and she said, my heart is broken. I thought you were the one. (laughs) So I thought, well, another one bites the dust. (laughs) So I went home and the next day, though, she called me up and she said, let's talk. So we got together and she gave me a letter that she'd written me and I opened it and the first line said, okay, so you're not perfect. Good to know. But that's not where this story is going to end because I think with God's help we can grow together. And I think that you can be a different person. And you're not going to do to me what you did in those other relationships because I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to put up with it. So you better change and you better start right now. And we're going to have a great relationship, so let's get going. That's love. She told me the truth. You're a mess. But she believed that the best was possible for me, and she committed to seek my good. And that was the first time that I didn't feel like I had to hide or pretend to be something that I wasn't just to be accepted. But I also knew that she wasn't going to leave me the way she found me, and she was going to work and partner with God 
to help me grow. And that love made a huge difference in my life. It helped me be less shy, more confident, a better person. It it helped me to understand God's grace and forgiveness. In fact, I don't think I could have been a pastor without that moment. And so because she loved me God's way, she made a huge difference in my life and in the lives of people who have called me their pastor. But even more than that, I got a glimpse of how God loves us because what she said to me, that's what God says to us. Okay, so you're not perfect. Good to know. But I still believe the best is possible for you. And we're going to have a great relationship, so let's get going. That's how God loves us. And the place we see it most is in Jesus Christ. This description we just read of love out of 1 Corinthians, that's a pretty good description of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the only way that we can love other people like that is if we first know Jesus. He's the only one who ever loved perfectly. He's the only perfect man. And we can't love like this unless we know Him. So we've got to connect with Him in prayer and Scripture and worship. We've got to meditate on His love. We've got to let it sink deep inside because deep down, I don't think we believe it. So we've got to really let it sink in. And we have to invest ourselves in Him and in His purposes because what we invest in is what we love. And when we do those things, we'll experience His love and then we can give it away. The Bible says we love because God first loved us. And the only way we can love like that is if we know Jesus and then we can love like He did. Listen to what God says about you. He says, when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. And when you walk through the flood, I am there because you are mine and I love you. He says, I've shown you my love in this, that while you were still a sinner, I died for you. The Bible says, for God so loved you. Put your name in that verse. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son so that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. In Jesus, God says to us, I'd rather die than lose you. And that's exactly what he does by going to the cross so we can be reconciled to him. The reality is the Bible is a sacred romance about a God who is in passionate pursuit of us while we are frantically running away from him. Yet he comes back to us over and over and over again in an effort to get it through our heads that he is madly, passionately, irrationally in love with us. In fact, the Bible refers to us as the bride of Christ, which can be kind of a tough metaphor to understand, especially if you're a guy. But it's a great description of God's love. You know, I've done a lot of weddings. And one of the best moments in any wedding is when the bride first appears at the top of the aisle. Uh, And especially if the groom hasn't seen her before the wedding, as it should be. And when she appears, a lot of times you can hear the groom sort of catch his breath. Like, oh, wow. That's how God feels about you. Now, you may not feel like much of a bride for Christ, that given all your weaknesses and sins and failures, that if you're a bride, well, then you've got dirt under your fingernails, your hair is a mess, and the gown is atrocious. But what the Bible affirms is that when God sees you in spite of all of those things, you take his breath away. That's how much he loves you. 
And once we experience that kind of love, it changes us and we can give it away so that in the words of the praise song, the world will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Lord Jesus, you wrote the book on love. And we can't do this without you. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to experience your deep, deep love so that we can know it, be changed by it, and give it away. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.